Good morning, everyone. The following are some laws that either once were in effect or still are in various places throughout the U.S. In Iowa, it was in Iowa it was a law that one-armed piano players must perform for free. In Wyoming, you cannot take a picture of a rabbit during the month of June. I'd be interested to test that one out. That's what I found really interesting. If you keep your donkey in a bathtub in Georgia, you might be arrested. <laughs> in Harper Woods, Michigan, it's illegal to paint a, sip, paint a sparrow and then sell it as a parakeet. <laughs> in Wisconsin, there's a law that says you cannot serve apple pie in public without cheese, which it makes sense because it is Wisconsin. If it was ice cream, I'd be all over that. It's illegal for a man to knit during fishing season in New Jersey. And my personal favorite, in Connecticut, a pickle must bounce to be considered a pickle. Now, I didn't research all these laws to figure out their history or why they were there. I'd imagine, or at least I really hope, they aren't really enforced anymore. And most of these laws were funny, but I can only imagine the story behind why these became a law in the first place is even funnier. I mean, what do you think happened for someone to be arrested somewhere for putting a donkey in a bathtub? <laughs> or my favorite about the bouncing pickle, do you think there are people all over Connecticut bouncing their pickles? <laughs> the next time you order a sub at a restaurant or a sandwich, ask your waiter to bounce the pickle. Let me know what happens. Again, I don't know if any of these are laws today. If they are, I'm sure they're not enforced. But today we're going to talk about one specific law that was a genuine and good law that was commanded by, directly by God himself. It wasn't a crazy law like those I just read, but over time more and more was added to it that it did start to become a little bit ridiculous. So this morning we're going to be continuing in our series on Luke. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So since we've been already working through Luke, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time about the context, but I will just give you a bit of a refresher. So Jesus is pretty near the beginning of his ministry. He now has his disciples who are assisting him and helping him. He started to heal people, and now he's traveling throughout the region doing ministry. And that brings us to where we are today. Jesus and his disciples are traveling on what just happens to be the Sabbath, and they also happen to be very hungry. So my first point for you this morning is to not lose focus of your purpose. So as you know, the Pharisees were obsessed with bringing Jesus down, and they were willing to do whatever was necessary to make that happen. One of their favorite ways of doing this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry was trying to trap him breaking the law. And we can see this in the first two verses. 
They were clearly watching Jesus and his disciples as they were traveling through this field of grain. Now remember, the disciples and Jesus aren't doing ministry right now. They're not performing any miracles. They're not teaching. He's not doing anything. They're literally just traveling through a cornfield. But yet here we have the Pharisees who just happen to see them. See, essentially the Pharisees were following Jesus and his disciples, spying on them and following their every move. From here on out, every move of Jesus and his disciples would be closely scrutinized for anything that could be used against them by these religious leaders. And this is what they thought they had witnessed this day when they saw Jesus' disciples eating these heads of grain. Now, it wasn't the fact that they were eating grain that didn't belong to them that was breaking the law. This was actually allowed. There were actually laws in place that told landowners to leave grain for travelers going by to eat. As long as they ate the grain and did not harvest it to sell, they were not breaking any laws. If you remember the story of Ruth, this is what allowed her to gather grain from the fields of Boaz. So it wasn't, the th- it wasn't theft that the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of. They were accusing him of not honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Since, as I said, that day just happened to be the Sabbath. I also find it interesting that scriptures don't say anything specifically about Jesus doing this act of eating the grain. It was only the disciples. Now, we know that Jesus came to fulfill the law that we can see in the Old Testament. And he followed many of the laws that were given in it. This is why he honored the laws through circumcision, through being presented to the Lord, and through his visits to Jerusalem on feast days or days of festivals. But at the same time, Jesus also came to free the people from the insane demands and bondage that had grown out of this law. That's why Jesus respected it and followed it, but he wasn't afraid to confront those who abused it and the hypocrisy that they showed. Now, there are many examples of the law being abused, but one major one was the law that God gave to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is one of the Ten Commandments, so it's one of the more major laws. And the Pharisees took great pride in this law to the point they thought God didn't go quite far enough in it. So they added some extra rules to it in the form of 39 categories of activities that were forbidden on the Sabbath. We know that in reading scriptures that the Sabbath is meant to be a day of rest, a time for our bodies to rest physically and recharge, but also, more importantly, spiritually. The Pharisees, however, had a very legalistic mindset, as we've already seen. They knew that the Sabbath meant not to work, but they questioned what technically was considered work. Scripture did give some guidelines on how to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, but it never answered the specific question, what is work? So again, the Pharisees decided they'd add to God's law, help themselves out a little bit, and came up with 39 things. Now, I'm not going to read this whole list of 39 things, (laughs) but I am going to read a good chunk of them. This list consisted of things such as planting seed, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, Winnowing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, bleaching or dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, tying or untying a knot, sewing stitches or tearing apart two stitches, hunting, writing, or erasing two letters. I don't know what the significance is about two letters. 
building, demolishing, kindling, or extinguishing a fire, hammering, or carrying objects from one place to another. Again, this isn't even the whole list, but I think you get the idea. It's starting to sound a little bit like some of those laws I gave at the beginning. And they took these rules very seriously, almost to the extreme. One example of this was that people weren't allowed to spit. Now, while spitting is not considered work, plowing is. And technically, here we go, a lot of technicalities coming here. Technically, plowing was defined as moving dirt to make a trench or furrow. So the thought was, if you spit in dirt, you had the potential of making a small trench or furrow, which would constitute plowing, which would constitute work, which would be illegal to do on the Sabbath. So this is the kind of mindset that the Pharisees had. And honoring the Sabbath was held as one of the most important practices for a Jew to follow. And if you were found guilty of breaking this command or the 39 rules that came with it, you'd be faced with severe consequences. Sometimes it could even warrant death. So when reading this list, you might ask yourself, well, which ones did the disciples break? Well, technically, they broke not one, but four. It was illegal to harvest, thresh, winnow grain, and prepare food, all four of which they technically did when they picked those heads of grain and rolled them in their hands before then eating them. Well, it's easy for us to look at the Pharisees as horrible hypocrites, because they were. Their positions, the positions that they had, were never created or intended to turn into this. They were meant to be spiritual leaders who would help guide the Jewish people in their spiritual lives and help them follow the laws that God had passed down to his people. Over time, the Pharisees went from this to becoming people who were more concerned with creating rules and following them. In doing this, they forgot the heart of the law and the purpose that was behind it. They lost focus not only of what the law was created for, but they lost focus on what their calling was, what God was wanting to do through them. I heard an illustration this past week that I think fits with this, and if you are in the photography of thinking of Aaron and Sarah or anyone else, you'll really be able to relate to this. But the speaker was talking about how he was on a camping trip out west in the mountains. Think of, it wasn't the Rockies, somewhere out in California where there's no light pollution whatsoever. All you could see are the stars. Well, he's sitting around the fire with his wife, and they were just staring up at the millions and millions of stars and how amazing they were. His wife, who happened to be really good at photography and had a fancy camera, asked him to take a picture. He, on the other hand, knew absolutely nothing about photography. So he simply put the camera on the automatic setting, snapped a picture, and showed it to her. All you could see in the picture was about 10 or 12 stars. And even those 10 or 12, you had to really stare to try and find them. She said, no, this isn't right. This camera should take a much better picture. But instead of helping him take the picture, she told him he had to consult one of his friends, who's a professional. The first question his friend asked him was, well, do you have this camera set on automatic? He's like, well, yeah, I don't know what else to do. He said, that's your first problem. He then proceeded to walk him through each of the settings to manually take a good picture. It took him over a solid hour to get this picture. But once he did, you could see every single star that was in that sky. They showed a picture where I heard this, and it was truly amazing. It was like you were actually there. So his big mistake was that he put it on automatic, 
It didn't show. The focus didn't come in until he relied on his friend to guide him and give him directions on how to properly take this picture. You see, in the first picture, it was out of focus, and only a few stars were showing up. By putting the camera on auto, the focus on the stars was completely lost. In the same way, God wants us to see millions of stars. He doesn't want us to just see dozens. He wants us to see millions. But we have to rely on him for help and direction in staying focused on the path he has set before us. When we fail to rely on him, we will lose focus of the purpose that he has for our life. Now, I'm going to ask you two questions, and I want you to answer them both honestly between yourself and God. The first is, what do you think your purpose is in life right now? The second question is, what is the purpose that God has shown you in and for your life? Now, if you answered the same for both these questions, then great, your focus is right where it needs to be. But if your answers were different, then maybe your focus is off. Now, it could be you knowing in the past what, your purpose, what God's purpose is for your life and kind of just wavering or going off the path from that. Or maybe you never really sought out God's purpose for your life in the first place. Whatever the case may be, now is the time to change from automatic to manual. Now is the time to let God help you gain or regain your focus on his purpose for you. And that leads to my second point, which is putting, put loving others above rituals. As we saw from our first point, the Pharisees' highest priority was maintaining the law to the letter at the expense of showing love. Essentially, they were putting their rituals or their rules above loving others. In the first two verses, we focus on the Pharisees and their verbal attacks in attempt to bring Jesus down. Now we get to see how he responds. And he responds in a similar way to many other attacks that we can see throughout Scripture, and that's by turning to Scripture. What better place to defend your beliefs than by going to Scripture? You see, the Pharisees tried to use Scripture when they were in their attacks, only they manipulated it to try and suit them. Another common occurrence that we'll see over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus is using the true scripture, not changed, not adapted in any way, the true scripture as it was given to shut them down where they stood. Jesus reminded them of a well-known story about King David that can be found in 1 Samuel 21. In this story, we can see how David is fleeing with several of his loyal followers from Saul and his armies. They've been running with no food and no water, and now they're in desperate need of something to eat. So we know that David and his men entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread. Well, why is this a big deal? Well, this was actually a much greater offense than what the disciples had done. You see, as a part of worship in the tabernacle, priests would place 12 loaves of freshly baked bread, one for each tribe, on a special table. They would leave them there throughout the week, and then when the next 12 fresh loaves came, the priests were then allowed to eat the old loaves of bread. But this bread was only meant to be eaten by the priest. It was consecrated bread and was meant to be nourishment for the priest, but only the priest. This is the bread that David and his men ate. Now, there's several similarities with these two stories. 
Jesus was with his disciples traveling, and they were hungry. And then you have David and his men who were traveling as well and found themselves in need of food. Both stories, you find men eating food in a way that went against what was taught or was considered illegal. One major difference, however, is that in David's case, the priest willingly and graciously gave the bread to David and his men. He knew that David was on a critical he knew that David was on a critical mission, and that his men should have priority over regulations. Now, remember that King David was one of the most revered people of all time up to that point. Even the Pharisees held him in high regard. Now Jesus is telling them that even King David, the most respected person of that time, broke ceremonial law in order to feed his men, demonstrating that times will come when meeting human need is of higher importance than keeping ceremonial laws. And if this wasn't enough, Jesus finished off by saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If Jesus was Lord of of the Sabbath, then he could determine how it should be honored, not them. Jesus very quickly put the Pharisees in their place, only for a short time, as you know, they're not ones to give up, and will eventually come back to try and trap Jesus yet again. Now, thankfully, due to Jesus taking our place on the cross, we don't have to worry about following many of these restrictions. So you might find yourself thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Can I not go home and cook? Well, no, I'm really encouraging you all to go home and cook, eat lunch, you deserve it. What I'm saying is that we can get caught up in doing things that fit with what the rest of the world is doing rather than what God is calling us to do. And you can see how this causes us to, in turn, lose focus. We might not be following strict rules and regulations like the Pharisees did, but we do live in a world where all around us things are expected, all around us things are expected to be done and not done in a certain way. And more and more often as we're going throughout history and throughout our time, this is becoming the opposite of what God is calling us to do. One example of this is that God calls us to give more than we take. You can see this in Acts 20, 35, which says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. But we know that our world tells us that we need to take more than we give. The world, and oftentimes us along with it, tend to be more focused on how we can get more, whether it be financially, whether it be influence, power, promotions, or even attention, instead of finding ways to give, ways to love on others, and ways to put others ahead of ourselves. How many of you love Chick-fil-A? If you don't raise your hand, I can't be friends with you anymore. (laughs) Well, how many of you love their cookies? You guys are missing out. Come on. Well, if you haven't ever had a Chick-fil-A cookie, you're really missing out. They're the perfect combination of chocolate chip cookie mixed with oatmeal. They're soft and gooey on the inside, slightly crunchy on the outside. And if you order them with a meal, they'll sandwich them between the fries and whatever your entree is, perfectly melting the chocolate. They have it down (laughs) to a science. If you can't tell, I'm a fan of Chick-fil-A, and they did not pay for this endorsement. (laughs) 
Now this next part will be especially relatable to those of you who are married. If you aren't married yet, I'm sure someday you will experience this. One bad thing about Chick-fil-A's cookies is they are never the same size. So that means one is always going to be bigger. One is always going to have more chocolate. One is always going to look more perfect. So when you're with your spouse and you order two cookies, you have a pretty big decision to make. <laughs> if you're the one ordering, you get to see which cookie is bigger and better. So since you're ordering, you get to see the cookies. Your spouse has no idea what's going on in your head. Do you eat the better looking cookie? Or do you make the sacrifice and give it to your spouse? There you go. When you naturally give the better one to your spouse without thinking about it, without questioning it, without playing the scenario through in your mind, you are truly giving more than you are taking. Now this might be a little bit of a crazy illustration, but it proves a valuable point. It was when you do give the cookie without thinking about it, without a natural thought. You'll see the cookies are different, but you naturally give the better one to your spouse. It's when you do it without thinking. When you see a person in need, do you naturally, without thinking about it, try to help? Or do you naturally ignore them, thinking someone else will be there to help? When you see someone who is lost, do you help them find their way? Or do you let them figure it out on their own? When you see that post on Facebook asking for help with a project, do you respond right away, or do you just wait and see if someone else will step up and help? Are you willing to put others' needs before yourself, like the priest did who gave bread to King David? Or will you do what the Pharisees did and focus on yourself and follow the unspoken rules of the world around us? So whatever you do naturally is whether you give more or take more. So what's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, 37 through 38 says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on to these two commands. So both these verses fit very well with our points. First, we're called to love God, the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And that is, requires us to be focused on him, to be focused on his purpose for us. The second is to love our neighbor as ourself. Do we have a mindset of take more than we give or a mindset of give more than we take? Essentially, the bottom line this morning is that we have to be focused on God at all times. I have just two application points this morning. The first is to focus on God's purpose for your life instead of your own. Be honest with yourself. Where do you find your purpose in life? Where does your focus lie? Is it on God or is it wavering? Are you on automatic and need to switch over to manual? If you do, just take time here today and in the days to come to make this change. This goes into my second application point, which is to focus on developing a mindset of giving more than taking. What steps can you do or take today or this week to work towards giving more than you are taking? Again, it's not really like a light switch where you can just naturally be like, I'm going to give more than I take. It takes steps. So what kinds of small steps can you put in place this week? 
and gradually increase until it becomes a mindset and then a habit. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by things of this world like the Pharisees did, who made up and followed rules as insane as the laws that they gave, as well as the laws I gave at the beginning of this message. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this message. I thank you for the lessons we're able to learn from this brief passage of how you responded to the Pharisees, how you went to Scripture, and you Scripture to back yourself up. God, I just ask that you'd help us not to lose focus like the Pharisees did, but that we would live our lives like the priests did who gave the bread to King David, that you'd help us put you above all, that you'd help us to seek your purpose for our lives and stay focused on that, God. God, I ask that you'd also help us to develop mindsets of giving more than we take in a world where it's all about taking. Please, God, I just ask all these things in your name. Amen.